We take a closer look inside the ACC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. Chip, Alabama won the national championship using two quarterbacks in the title game. Clemson underway this year. Can the Tigers do it using two quarterbacks the entire season? I, I think that in order to win a national championship, Clemson will require the use at some point of both Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence. And that is because the ceiling for Trevor Lawrence at some point before the end of his Clemson career is to be the QB one, you know, the, the leader of this program. But that time is not in 2018, at least not here as we're speaking at the beginning of the season. So that's, you know, there needs to be Kelly Bryant, his senior presence, his experience, not only uh, as a, as a starter leading the Tigers to the playoff, but also, now, as a two-year backup to Deshaun Watson, someone who knows this offense, someone who knows everyone else in that locker room, a South Carolina native. So this is going to be fascinating to watch because, you know, when does each player play? And is it uh, rotated on a pitch count? Are we alternating series? Is it more specific to certain packages and situations? And how does that evolve over time? I, I'm expecting that we will see both players especially here in these first couple of weeks. But I, I'm, I'm curious to see if that continues, and if so, who ends up being the starting quarterback once we get deeper into the season. It wasn't too long ago the future seemed bright for North Carolina football. One bad season later and some controversial remarks. How important is it that the Tar Heels have a big season this year? Uh, it's incredibly important, and it's also a big-time challenge. The, the shoe scandal, which has led to staggered suspensions of uh, quarterback Chaz Surratt and several other players, though most of them being depth players. And this has created a lot of pressure here at the beginning of the season. In the time of the season, that in my opinion, the the Tar Heels have to be able to get wins if they want to be in a bowl game at the end of the year. Uh, at Cal, at ECU, Central Florida at home, Pittsburgh. Those are four games that are all winnable games for the Tar Heels. But you could also see in each one of those scenarios, particularly having to come back from California and go on the road to Greenville to play the Pirates, that things could start getting rocky. So Larry Fedora, you mentioned his comments. There was, there's going to be a lot more pressure on him because of that. But I think more than anything, the pressure is that North Carolina, based on its personnel and based on the team that I'm looking at going into the year, uh, it doesn't have much of a margin for error if it wants to be able to take a step forward from that 3-9 and nine season. And unfortunately – because of the suspensions, they have already uh, made that margin for error even slimmer. Duke had an impressive opening win. Daniel Jones is healthy again. How high are you on the Blue Devils this year? Very high, uh, though I will be looking very closely at the next two weeks. Having to play two Power 5 opponents on the road in back-to-back weeks is a tough challenge. And Northwestern looked pretty good in their opener on the road, beating Purdue on Thursday night. And so I think that that'll be a big-time challenge for a group that I, I think could be in that mix of, uh, you know, I, if, if Miami, if things go totally sideways for Miami and 5-3 and three is a good enough record to be in the mix for the Coastal Division title, I could see the Blue Devils getting to 5-3 and three in conference play. And if that is paired with a 3-1 three, a three and one or a 4-0 and oh showing, we're talking about an 8-plus win team in Durham. And I, I think that that would be a big-time statement for David Cutcliffe after last year, the the rocky midseason where you start strong, you lose yourself in the middle of the season, and they found a bunch of momentum. I thought their performance against Army was very solid, and it showed me almost everything that I wanted to see. 
particularly from the defensive front, which I do think is going to be one of the strengths of that team. Drew Jordan leading the group on the defensive line. Joe Giles Harris, one of the best linebackers in the country. So I'm, I've got high expectations for Duke. I don't expect that there will be a single game where they're going to feel outmatched. Talk with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, also the host of the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And you can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. Wake Forest had a nice season opening win or a nice season last year. They struggled against what appears to be a solid two-lane team. Was this to be somewhat expected? It's tough to go on the road with uh, your experienced quarterback suspended for the first three games of the season. You don't really have any answers at the kicker position. Mike Weaver's not walking through that door. But I was impressed by freshman quarterback Sam Hartman, and I know that this is going to be potentially a long road for him. He made some freshman mistakes, but he also made some big-time throws. Sage Surratt at wide receiver, redshirt freshman showed up big-time, and Greg Dortch, Uh, who was hurt near the end of last year, seeing him get about 11 or 12 catches was encouraging. Because of Tulane's defense, which has never – I would never really graded Tulane's defense as the strength of its team. I don't think it is likely that we will see Hartman and those two receivers be as productive on a week-in, week-out basis. But I came into this year feeling like Wake Forest was a pretty good football team at almost every position except for quarterback and kicker. I'm still concerned about the special teams. I'm a little bit more concerned about the secondary than I was, but Sam Hartman might be the real deal. And when Kendall Hinton returns from suspension, I think it is not a guarantee that he will step right back into the starter's role, which means that Hartman has two more chances to go out there and prove to Dave Clawson and his offensive staff that he can follow in the footsteps of John Walford and Tanner Price. I mean, there have been a lot of four-year starter quarterbacks in Wake Forest football history. And it usually starts with an up-and-down freshman year, but that sets the stage for what we saw from Walford a year ago, which can be a very productive and dominant and successful senior season. Willie Taggart has had success everywhere he's been. Had it not been for injuries last year at Oregon, it might have been better. But he's back in his home state now with the keys to the kingdom. How high is that ceiling of potential? Oh, man. Because, look, this is still a big part of the roster that we had rated as the number three team in the country going into the season opener against Alabama. And I think nothing speaks to the clean slate that he gave everyone in that locker room than the fact that DeAndre Francois was able to win the starting job. After the, you know, DeAndre Francois didn't really react uh, very well in his post-injury season. It seemed that he uh, wasn't exactly on the same page as Jimbo Fisher. And over time throughout the season, we learned that Jimbo Fisher wasn't exactly on the same page as a lot of folks, uh, you know, whether they be players, administrators, boosters. And so now with a clean slate, the fact that a very talented, tough and rugged quarterback like DeAndre Francois was able to win the confidence of Willie Taggart and offensive coordinator Walt Bell, I, I think that speaks to a really high ceiling. I, I think that this season is going to be uh, one where we see flashes of incredible potential, you know, win the ACC, compete for the college football playoff kind of potential. But it's a tough schedule, and I have to think that there's going to be at least a couple losses on there. But it is not going to come early because the energy around Tallahassee and the energy around that program is so positive right now, and there's so much excitement. And I think Monday night in Doak Campbell Stadium is going to be a really, really special environment. I'm not worried about the Seminoles there. The challenge for Willie Taggart will be being able to not, uh, you know, use up all that energy early in the season 
will they be able to maintain that throughout the year? And I, I think that that is going to be the true test of whether that locker room has turned a corner from what, in, in all honesty, kind of felt like a little bit of a toxic situation behind the scenes. And so if, if everything really has turned, we're not going to know on Monday night. I think we're going to feel great about Florida State on Monday night. However, when they start to face adversity, when they start to you know, take a loss along the schedule, how will they bounce back? That will be the true test for me about whether Willie Taggart's going to have the Seminoles program back into ACC title contention sooner rather than later. Staying in state, Miami coming off a terrific season. What makes you think, if anything, that they'll take the next step this year? Uh, they've got healthy wide receivers. Amon Richards played so much the last season, almost on one leg. Jeff Thomas, the freshman who showed some, some bursts a little bit last season, I think that they're looking for a big step forward for him as a sophomore. They've talked a lot about program depth and how they learned some lessons from the way that last year's team ran out of steam. You know, starting 10-0 and and then losing the last three games of the season. That has been a big part of the conversation, not only outside Miami, but even within the program. So they're going to be trying all along the way to, to get their twos and their threes in there more, giving their starters a little bit of a breather so that they can be more fresh at the end of the season. And a lot of that is just the fact that Miami, under Mark Richt, has had to work on the development and just the program depth that they have there. They've recruited well. I, I think Miami is a, being a little bit overlooked, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. I think Malik Rogier is going to have a good season. I don't know if we'll see it against LSU because I think LSU is probably the toughest defense they've got on their schedule. But, but throughout the year, and especially in ACC play, I think we're going to see some big passing games from Rogier. We take a closer look inside the Pac-12 with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. And, Chip, it was a slow start for Stanford, but they ultimately rolled. You never like to put too much into a season opener. But how important was it given last year's result? Oh, for sure. And I think that Stanford's going to be a program that uh, probably was going into that game with a little bit vanilla. Uh, I, I wouldn't give them the allegation of running their spring game offense by any means. You, San Diego State is too good of a program under Rocky Long for you to take them that lightly. But let's let's not forget that USC, I mean, the USC is coming up on the schedule. And there, there's a, a big picture mindset that Stanford carries into the beginning of the season where they understand what's ahead of them and they try to do a lot to you know, I'm like, I'm not coming out of the game really concerned about Bryce Love. I think Bryce Love is still going to be able to find these games where he's incredibly productive. I thought that the passing game in particular was one thing that um, is, is going to be a new wrinkle here. I thought that with KJ Costello, they have a better passing attack and it turned for them last season when Costello was really able to get in there and be healthy. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at that as being the, the next piece for a Stanford team that, you know, we, we often don't feel like they are one of the dominant Pac-12 programs, but they've won the Pac-12 North four out of the last six years. And they were right there uh, about to win the Pac-12 against USC in the title game a year ago. So I am not coming away uh, from the San Diego State game with any concerns. As always with Stanford, it'll be dictated by that early season USC game. A big start for Washington today at Auburn. You never win the national championship in September, but what could today's game mean for a possible playoff berth, especially considering how last year Chris Peterson said their games are too late to be seen by anybody on the East Coast? It's the game time. It's the opponent in Auburn. You know, the, the, SEC, the defending SEC West champions. 
it's it's also and this and this is a big part of the playoff puzzle and the national championship puzzle. A win against Auburn gives them a key non-conference result that can therefore sort of uh, count, counter a conference loss. And I think the Pac-12, and in particular the Pac-12 North, is too tough. And I don't think there's enough of a separation between Washington and Stanford. And I don't think there's enough of a separation between Washington and Oregon to really expect that they're going to go through the nine-game conference schedule and not take a loss somewhere. But think about what we had with Oklahoma last year. When Oklahoma beat Ohio State, that allowed for the loss against Iowa State to not be as penal in the eyes of the college football playoff selection committee. So you're not going to get penalized for that late loss because that would be your one loss. However, if Washington loses to Auburn, that means the Huskies are now going to have to run the table if they want to make it to the college football playoff. And even if they do that, it's probably going to require some impressive wins along the way, some style points, which, as Chris Peterson mentioned, are much harder to come by in the Pac-12. Talk with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson and also check out his podcast, the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Chip Kelly makes his debut at UCLA. Everyone always expects an immediate turnaround when such a hire is made. Is it that easy? No, it's not easy at UCLA. It's going to take a while before I start to feel a little bit confident in uh, the personnel there. There's The defensive players, have offered some very interesting insights into what they've seen from practice in terms of the scheme, the schematics, uh, the way that Chip Kelly is using his modern offensive philosophy to continue to evolve and present new challenges for defenses. I think that there is a future where we start to see um, this UCLA team using tempo, using complex, uh, you know, read pass options, but I, I think that right now, and especially with Wilton Spate, who is a, a fine quarterback, Wilton Spate has been very solid as a starting quarterback in the Big Ten at high level. And I think that having him as the starting quarterback at UCLA is a steadying presence. I don't think we see really explosive results at UCLA uh, until probably sometime next season. And, Chip, you know, you look at cross town, no more Sam Darnold, Clay Helton, one of the more underappreciated coaches in America, in my mind. After a down year, they come back with, with some special talent, but it's still very young. It's a lot to ask. Can USC live up to the, the expectations that are always on them? Sure. And I thought last year was a breakthrough. We was, they were Pac-12 champions. That's, that's something like just – USC had gone a, a while but since they had even won the conference crown. And so these are going to be baby steps to get USC you know, back into the position where we, we saw the Trojans at in the, the middle of the last decade under Pete Carroll. And one of those first steps is to reclaim uh, being the best team in the Pac-12. And I think JT Daniels is a quarterback who can lead them to the college football playoff and into national championship contention, I don't know if JT Daniels is going to be doing it right now. And there's a lot of young quarterbacks that I have very high expectations for. Uh, I think that the quarterback classes of the last year or two have been really special from a you know four, five, six-year window. They really stand out as the best, JT Daniels being one of them. And I just don't know that what that's going to look like immediately. I'll tell you what, USC is going to be – 
a much more difficult team to beat in November than they are going to be at the beginning of the year. So I'm looking at the Trojans, and I'm expecting them to win the South. I'm expecting them to be in the Pac-12 title game and have a chance to replicate the success of last year with JT Daniels as the quarterback. Talk with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com. Follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. He's also the host of the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. New coaches for both of the Arizona schools. What can we expect? I think that at Arizona, uh, Khalil Tate and Kevin Sumlin, that marriage can be everything that you would imagine it might be with your video game offensive mind. I think that at Arizona State, Herm Edwards will have an opportunity this year uh, to exceed some of the expectations. I think that the real challenge for Herm Edwards will be program building from here on out. And the reason I say that is because with Manny Wilkins at quarterback and with Harry, a wide receiver, those are leaders. Those, those are players that have been in the Arizona State program for a while. They're all-conference caliber players. They know what to do. And so when Herm Edwards addresses that locker room, if he wants to address that locker room like men and like pros, then he is going to have a receptive audience. When those leaders and when those key players graduate, what's going to happen then? But I think right now, Manny Wilkins is a big key to that. I think he's a great, great player I think we are going to see Arizona State cause some problems. Don't forget, this is a Sun Devils team that won six games in conference play a year ago, and much of that is back. So we'll, we will see, but I'm actually favoring, and this is not uh, in agreement at all with Las Vegas if you look at the win totals. I, I think that Arizona State will finish ahead of Arizona in the Pac-12 South standings at the end of the season. But uh, who, you know, who am I? But just a talking head is asked to make a lot of predictions. <laughs> one more prediction and one more new coach. Mario Cristobal makes his Oregon debut. The cupboard isn't bare. How easy will his transition be, especially with Jim Levitt with, as defensive coordinator? Yeah, you said it right there. So Jim Levitt, first year uh, as the Oregon defensive coordinator was last year, and they immediately started playing a lot of young players. There were very, Thomas Graham in, in the defensive backfield. Uh, you've got some real difference makers at all three levels, defensive line and linebacker as well. The, the Jim Levitt scheme and the impact made a jump from them being as one of the 30 worst defenses to being one of the 40 or 50 best defenses. And so if that same group with that same kind of jump, uh, that really changes things because it wasn't just Mario Cristobal, but the quarterback coach gets promoted to offensive coordinator. And so Justin Herbert, if he can stay healthy, can be one of the best quarterbacks in the country – and so I'm looking at Oregon, again, as that that is the real threat to Washington. That, as they get both Stanford and Washington in Austin Stadium. And with the continuity that they have from last season, with the steps forward that they took as a program, I, I am very, very encouraged at where Oregon is now and where they could be moving here for the next two to three years. We take a closer look inside the SEC with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com, the host of the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And Chip, Alabama, once again, the number one team in the nation. We keep waiting for, I want to call it a down year, but it's just a sub-Alabama year. But it doesn't seem to happen. How have they been able to stay at such a consistently elite level? Seven straight number one recruiting classes. Um, you know, the, the greatest college football coach of all time on the sidelines and uh, just an, an expectation from the entire college football community that every single season comes down to whether or not Alabama will win the national championship. I mean, think about what it's taken. It's taken an, 
extraordinary Ohio State team uh, to be able to, to sort of stun Alabama, catch them in a position where the, the team itself even admitted that they weren't expecting to get knocked off. It's taken a, a generational talent quarterback into Sean Watson. The, the circumstances when Alabama does not win the national championship seem to be very, very rare. And so I, I go into this season, you know, we can, we can nitpick. We can look and say, I don't know about the depth at linebacker. Well, guess what? The starters at linebacker are, are future NFL players, Mac Wilson and Dylan Moses. They're, they're going to be in the NFL. Anthony Jennings, he's not Tim Williams as an edge rusher, but he's, he's a future pro. You know, Raquan Davis isn't Jonathan Allen, but he's a future pro. There's, there are places where you could try to nitpick this Alabama team, but the fact is that when you line it up against this competition, there's not a single game where Alabama is not going to be the favorite. The, the question is, as it is every year, Will or will not Alabama go do the darn thing? You know, you'd mentioned it just a couple of moments ago about how Alabama builds, and Kirby Smart has followed Nick Saban's blueprint to a T. Georgia has lost several good players, but it seems as if they're built to withstand those losses. They are from a talent perspective and a personnel perspective, but the most interesting insight that I've gotten from Athens during preseason camp and in the time leading up to uh, this first week of the season was a question about who's going to replace the presence, uh, the voice. Um, you know, I, I hesitate to use the word leadership because I'm not sitting there in that locker room and I can't speak to it specifically, but it was pointed out to me that players like Roquan Smith, Lorenzo Carter, Nick Chubb, and Sony Michelle were the heartbeat of that program. And when I was at the national championship game and we were talking to Georgia's coaches, you know, they, they couldn't say enough about how we wouldn't be here if it weren't for the leadership of those players to get everybody to buy in to Kirby Smart and his staff. And so with them gone, the the overall team talent is still very, very high, but the intangibles are unknown. And that's not to say that someone cannot emerge and be that kind of presence or that player, but from what I've heard, it was yet to be determined as to who those players are going to be and how that's going to go, because there are going to be about three times this season where Georgia is going to be put in a very tough situation. And I am wondering if they have inside that locker room the presence uh, to be able to navigate and overcome that ad- adversity, because on talent alone, Georgia goes nine and three uh, with some really special games and moments this Georgia team could go 12-0. and 0. And I think that that's kind of the, the floor and ceiling we're dealing with with the Bulldogs this year. Another Nick Saban protege takes over at Tennessee as Jeremy Pruitt gets his shot. It's been tough times in recent years in Knoxville. How will Pruitt be able to change that? He's got to change the uh, – again, I, I hate going abstract because I'm not uh, – you know, Rich, I, and I don't know, I don't know if you've, uh, you've, you've seen me on CBS Sports HQ, but – it, I, I don't exactly give off the impression I put my hand in the dirt, you know, one of those, one of, one of those, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm one of the ones that the players continually uh, love to take shots at since I wasn't out there and I, I didn't bleed it. But I, I have heard from other people and I've had my own observations that Tennessee in the final years under Butch Jones, uh, incredibly talented and yet mismanaged. And uh, to take it even further, I, I think that there is an edge uh, what some people might call a toughness factor that Jeremy Pruitt can bring to a talented roster because 
the dudes are there. I mean, these are these are players that coming out of high school were big recruiting wins, and then they would get to Tennessee, and the overall team performance at Tennessee uh, did not showcase that extra little bit. I mean, all of those close losses that they had under Butch Jones, and I just I can't help but think that the champions of life mentality is the exact opposite of what Jeremy Pruitt's going to bring there. And if that talented roster develops an Alabama-like edge or an Alabama-inspired edge, well, Tennessee could be a lot better than we think this year, and I'm, I'm curious to see if it starts early. Talking with Chip Patterson of CBSSports.com and the host of the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. You can always follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. A couple of new coaches in the conference. Chad Morris did well at SMU and makes the big jump to Arkansas. He's a great offensive mind. Can he get the defense going too? Not yet. <laughs> Just, I will see. I'm, I don't have uh, high hopes for an immediate turnaround at Arkansas, and I think that investing in Chad Morris and deciding that you were going to go uh, with an identity was a much better approach than what I saw. I, th- I think that Brett Bielma is a fantastic college football coach who landed at Arkansas and then uh, ch- you know, changed identities a couple of times, especially offensively. You know, they, they were playing the, the ground and pound when they had Alex Collins and Jonathan Williams. Then they turned into more of a spread, run-up-the-scoreboard team. And I think that right now, by going with Chad Morris, you're at least committing to something. And you're committing to something that you hope will be different enough to present issues against SEC opponents that are going to have, on paper, more talented rosters. I don't think that uh, the transition to Chad Morris' system is going to be immediate, but I believe that if he can get uh, a, an offense that can put up, you know, 35 points per game, then, you know, yeah, this will this will be a fun extra extra piece to the puzzle in the SEC West to make all of those contenders have to go through the Razorback. Joe Moorhead did wonderful things at Penn State and has some talent as he takes over at Mississippi State. Can the Bulldogs be a big surprise? I'm not sure if that's a fair statement, but really, really good too. Yeah, they can. I mean, when Alabama goes to Starkville later in the year, that's one of the spots where I think that Alabama might take a loss. It's the it is it's so interesting. I I'm looking at the Crimson Tide schedule, and I think that uh, Ole Miss in Week Three against a very very good uh, set of wide receivers, AJ Brown, DK Metcalf. You know that that could just be the the weird game, uh, the game that could potentially be uh, the best competition that Alabama will face might be on the road with the Cowbells going up against Nick Fitzgerald and not even just Nick Fitzgerald, but Mississippi state has some really, really good defensive line play right now with Jeffrey Simmons leading the way. And I, I believe that Mississippi state right now is competing with Auburn to be the second best team in the SEC West. And a great way to prove that would be going through the SEC schedule at you know six and two, seven and one, and I think that's in the cards for Joe Moorhead. And I think that to be able to get that would be maximizing uh, what was really a pretty good roster that Dan Mullen left in Mississippi State. Speaking of Mullen, he's now at Florida, back where he was an assistant under Urban Meyer. Uh, you know, will he be able to stabilize that ship and do what he did and, and make it even take it to another level uh, from what he did in, in uh, Starkville? I think so. I, I, Dan, I mean, Dan Mullen at Florida is a, an arrival, I would say, to, to 
take it to another conference, but, um, you know, similar type situation. It, it feels like when Mark Richt arrived at Miami and everyone acknowledged that this, this was a hire and this is a trajectory where, um, you're, you're hoping if you're Florida that this is going to be your coach for the next 10 years. So this, this might be your coach for the next 15 years. Um, Dan Mullen, and you hope Dan Mullen wins a national championship or two and a couple of SEC titles. And so there is going to be a little bit of room right now before the expectations really set in. Now, I will say I really like the skill position talent uh, at Florida right now. And Felipe Franks was always going to be a player who needed a couple of years to really develop. That was the book on him coming out of high school. And he was forced in, he was thrown into the fire a little bit early. So um, can Dan Mullen in what is expected to be the window of when Felipe Franks has a breakthrough or a step forward, can his influence be the thing that helps guide Franks to that position? Uh, all that said, I last year was as disappointed as I have been in a Florida defense in a long, long time. I'd gotten really, really used to, you know, through the Will Muschamp era, you know, and even you know the defenses on the national championship teams, I, I just have gotten so used to seeing a Florida Gators defense loaded with dudes. And I love Jabari Zaniga, and certainly CC Jefferson has been a talented and quality player for a while now. But I don't see it right now, and I I, I could definitely be proven wrong here. Um, they've got a good defensive staff in place where I think that. It won't take long for Florida to get back to having SEC championship caliber defense, but I don't see it in 2018. And I'd love to be proven wrong, but um, we won't really know uh, until they go into, you know, the LSU game, the Georgia game. And there's going to be some moments where Florida, if we're doing ceiling and floor, Florida's ceiling is probably eight, nine wins. The floor is about seven. And it's going to be a couple one possession games that switch that and, you know, how Dan Mullen handles those situations, whether or not he's able to beat a Florida State or a Georgia, those are going to determine whether or not Florida fans view this season as a success or failure. From the outside, I understand that this is probably the first puzzle piece in Dan Mullen building towards an FEC championship at Florida.